Today is the final day that we're wrapping up the book of John. Over a year ago, we began the book of John because we, as a leadership team, believed that, that we needed to focus on Jesus. And it's been a rich time focusing on Jesus instead of focusing on all the things around us. And then the last three weeks, we've taken time to say, how can we answer the question of how do we live in light of what we've heard in the book of John? How do we live differently in light of the gospel of John, you see, we believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed because that's what God says about His very own Word. All of Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. And what that means is that all of Scripture is, is meant to have an effect on us. That's what we believe in this church. We hold the Scripture as our authority in life and it's meant to affect our lives. Amen? And i got to stop for just a second. I'm just excited to see everybody here and that we, we've gotten rid of all these distancing measures and we've gotten rid of all the chairs and, and that we can rejoice um, before God. So thank you for being here today. Um, what, what joyful thing it is that he brings us together. He's kept us safe through a pandemic. He has kept us safe through many things. And, and, and God has kept us safe by helping us see Jesus and helping us focus on him as a church body. He's kept us united in him. And we believe this word, it's meant to have an effect on how we live and how we think and how we act and how we feel. And sometimes all three of those things, right? Sometimes God's word affects us in all those ways all at once. And what we've been looking at the last few weeks is how does, how does John affect us? And, and really we see that through the prayer of Jesus. So we've been taking, we took two other weeks and today's the third week we're going to take to look at at how can we live in light of this message, this gospel message. So turn with me one final time to John chapter 17. I don't mean I'll never preach on it again, but it's going to be a while, that's for sure. So John chapter 17, we'll be seeing once again how Jesus intends his heart cry. That's what his prayer was. Right before he, he gave himself to be crucified, he prayed his heart. He prayed his heart out, and we see his heart cry here In John 17, how he intends for us to live differently. Look at John 17, verses 20 through 26. This is God's holy, inspired word for us today. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray once again. Father, you promise that your word will not return void to you. 
What that means is that you promise that when your word is delivered, when your words are spoken, your word will have an effect on us. So Lord, we claim that promise today, that your word would have an effect on our minds and our hearts. And Lord, that your word would have an effect on our actions. Lord, would you penetrate our hearts and our minds? Lord, would you wake us up to you? Would you wake us up to your love? God, would you cause us to marvel at what you have done through Jesus in us? And would we live differently in response? God, I pray that, that you would do this work that, that only can be done by the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come even now. Work in and amongst us, Lord. Work in all of us who are hearing your word, Lord. Work in and through this preaching, Lord. Empower me to preach. Empower all of us to hear. God, we need you and we humbly come before you trusting that you love to answer prayer. So we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So when you think of the fact that Jesus prayed for you, what do you think he should have prayed for you about? Why don't you answer that really? And, and, and you may not have to say it out loud, but, but what, what, did, what do you think Jesus should have prayed for you about? What do you wish Jesus prayed for you? There's a lot of things that we do pray, and, and I believe that Jesus continues to pray. This is not the only prayer of Christ because it, it tells us in Hebrews that he continues to make intercession continually. This is his role. He is the intercessor. He's the one who prays for us. Jesus is praying for you. You need to hear that. One of the things you need to see through the prayer of Jesus is that he did pray for you, and then he also continues to pray for you. But when you think of Jesus and his high priestly prayer, which this is often called, or I, I like to call it the Lord's Lord's Prayer, this is what he really prayed for us, what do you think he should have prayed? If you're being honest with yourself, you might list a bunch of things, right? You might wish that he prayed that your life would be easy, because sometimes it's very hard. You, you might think that you wish that he prayed that you would be free from problems and difficulties and strife, and that your life would be full of riches, or that everyone would love you, or that you wouldn't feel crummy. Those are all good things to pray at times. But the heart cry of Jesus is what we see in his prayer, and, and he, is, he condenses his prayer. And, and we saw in the previous couple weeks that, that one of the first things he prayed is, is for his own glory. He prays for his own glory because that is really what, what we need is to, to live for his glory. And then he prayed for other things that we need. He prayed that we might be kept in his name, that we might not be known by any other name, not kept in our names, but kept in his name, right? And, and, then, and then he prays not just for his glory might be kept in his name, but that we might be kept safe from the evil one. He's drawn us out of the world. We're not in the world. And he prays that, Father, would you keep them safe from the evil one? And, and then you're thinking, yeah, these are all awesome. And, and, then, and then he prays for something that, that seems a little surprising at times. Why did he pray this way? He prayed for our unity. That might seem surprising. Is it really that important, Jesus? Is, is, it, is it really that big of a deal? Like, I get that we pray for you. We live for your glory, yes. I and mean, everybody can say, yeah, we love that. We love that that we pray that we're kept in his name. Yes, that's, that's incredible. We pray that way and we pray that he keeps us from the evil one. Yes, we pray that way. But how many of us pray this way for the unity of the disciples? You, the unity of the church. Is that what you think Jesus should have prayed? Well, that is what Jesus prayed for us. 
he prayed that we might be one, that we might be united together in him. Look, look in verse 21. He prays, he says, that they may all, who's the they? Those who believe, that they may all be one. He's praying for the unity of his own body, the body of Christ. He's praying for you and he's praying for your unity. He's praying that, that we would not become fractured or disunified by anything, that we might be one. And then he gives us an explanation of how. Look in verse 21, it says, just as you, Father, are in me. That's an insanely close unity, Right? Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Our unity is in him. That's what Jesus prays for. There's, there's two ways that we're united. There's two prayers that Jesus has here of, of our unity. Two ways that we can respond, that we're meant to respond. And one is that we are united in him. We're united in him. That's what he prays. He prays that we'll be united in him because we are united in him. But if you read the news, or if you are aware of this thing called social media, I know a lot of people have pulled out of social media, and I can understand that because it is divisive at times, right? So if you're aware of the news, if you're aware of social media, if you're aware of human history, if you've even studied just a little bit of human history, you've come to know and understand that we live in a broken and divided world, don't we? It's a broken world. It's a divided world. This world is broken by sin. It's divided by all kinds of things. Almost anything and everything you can think of can divide people. Everything from small preferences to superficial differences to serious ideological viewpoints. Back when I was in school, I don't know what kind of school you went to, but um, when, I, when I first entered into ninth grade, I, I remember all of the different groups. It wasn't a huge high school. It's probably about a thousand students or so. And, and they all divided into different affinity groups. They all divided into, you know what, back in my day it was like the goths or the jocks or um, people who listened to heavy metal and, or people who listened to um, 60s music. Or, and, and, and they're divided in all kinds of different genres of people, right? What, and I don't know what groups you found yourself in or the band people. Um, I almost used a different word. Um, and the ones who, a hundred different likes and preferences and dislikes. Why is that? Because it's the default setting for this world. People naturally segregate based on likes and dislikes and preferences and differences. It's the default setting for the world, isn't it? It causes problems, it causes difficulties, it causes strife, it causes hardship, it causes fighting and wars and death. And if you are an intelligent observer, you see those things are bad, that, 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 that we need to try to solve these problems. So people do that, they try to solve those things in a whole myriad of ways, around commonalities. They try to say, okay, great, what, what common causes can we have that will unite us, that will fix the problems in the world today, the disunity, the brokenness that we have? Some people look to common forms of government, to politics, a common enemy maybe. But eventually all those things fail, right? People make attempts to be united around all sorts of things. And yet all those things ultimately fail because we're inherently selfish. We might not like, like to admit that, but when somebody else's preferences bump up against ours enough, what do we do? We tend to withdraw. 
We tend to see them as other. It can happen in a hundred different ways, in a hundred different preferences, in a hundred differences. Or we can see people as other, not like me, or different. And then you know what we can do? We can ascribe, I don't know if you've ever done this, you, you, you get enough differences between somebody and you begin to think of them as other than you. As they're not like me, they don't understand me, I don't like them, and you begin to withdraw. And that can happen in any group, and that can happen in this group, in this church, in this body, it can happen. And, and if you think you don't do this, let me just ask you simple questions. These really, really low bar, basic differences, just to get an idea. How, how many people here like, like action movies? Do you love to see an action movie? Anybody here like action movies? How many people hate action movies or really dislike them? There you go. And you're like, oh, how, could you, how could you hate an action movie? Or how many people here love romance movies? Like just they love a good love story. Come on, be honest. Put your hand up. Come on, be honest. Guys, you can be honest too if you love a good love story. How many people really just like want to throw up when they watch a love story? Like, like I just, I can't stand them. I, I, I love the love story in Jesus and the Bible, but when it comes to like sense and sensibility or, I want to, I just, I want to throw up. How many people here like comedy? Do you like comedy? How many people think comedy is stupid and don't, yeah. You know, it can be really simple things like that, but you know what, magnify that to things that we really care about. I use movies because hopefully you don't really care that strongly about your genre of movie. Um, I actually will sit through romance movies if I love someone a lot. You know, how many, how many of you think of, oh, wait a minute, different musical styles, and then maybe you have a musical style you like. Maybe you're the kind of, I only really like classical music, and I think that's the only godly form of music. And you begin to subtly look down on people because they have a different style or preference of music that they like. You ever do that? You ever look down on people because of their preferences or their choices or what they seem to like that are not clear in Scripture? Let me, let me qualify that. Where scripture does not clarify and specify, have you ever looked down on someone for a preference that you have that scripture doesn't specify? I have. All kinds of ways. You know, how about views on diet? What people eat, and you think, they don't really love Jesus because they eat awful, or they don't really love Jesus because they only eat vegetables. Don't they know that he let down this blanket? I mean, you know, you can have those kinds of things happen in your in your heart, right? And if you let it, a hundred different little choices can build up to where you see that I don't, I don't like people, people don't like me, I'm not like them, I can't relate to them, and so I need to find another church to go to, or I need to leave this church because of all these little things. And sometimes they're not very little, but they are important issues too, and politics, and things that affect our lives. Have you ever had a thought about someone who likes or follows a different political party than you and you thought they can't really be a Christian as well because they believe this way politically? You ever thought differently of somebody because of the color of their skin or the language that they spoke? Their medical choices, someone who believes a certain way about medical choices, we've seen it this past year, right, with COVID. Somebody chooses to wear a mask and people say, well, you know, you're not, 
you're in fear. Or people say, I'm choosing to wear a mask because I, I love people. And, or people saying, I choose not to wear a mask. And they say, well, you must hate people. And we've seen these things divide, haven't we? And yet, what did Jesus pray? He prays that we might be united, not around any of those things. That our unity might not be based on any of those things. Listen, as a Christian, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't deny that the world's divided. We're not going to pretend. We, don't, we also don't seek to have our hope for unity around any of the things I mentioned. All of the pursuits in life that we seek to do good in, those can be good God-glorifying pursuits. But you know what? Anything we do, any action we take, none of those things are the source of our unity. And Jesus prayed that we might be united, not by those things, but we might be united in him. You know why? Because he came to unite us. He came to unite us in him. That's the only thing that makes us stick together. Every single one of us, from every tribe, from every tongue, from every language, from every, every nation, from every class, from, from, every, from poverty, from riches, from every shade of skin color, he came to unite all people in himself to completely undo the effects of sin that bring disunity and division and separation from God ultimately. He came to unite us together in God, in him. That's our hope. Let me ask you where you're putting your hope this morning. Where have you been putting your hope? You see, our hope is in the fact that Jesus came to shine light into this dark world that we live in, and he came to unite all of mankind in himself, that, that through believing what? In him, not in believing in a political system, believing in these things, but through, through believing in him, that he came to give us life, that he, as we've sang about this morning, I love that the whole theme of worship this morning was about the love that Jesus has for us, that, that God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him, might have eternal life, be transformed, be made new in him. He came to unite all of mankind and himself so that we might be united to God and live in his love. And we now have a union that flows from him and is kept in him as we remain in him. But you know what? Sometimes we don't remain in him. I don't mean that positionally we don't remain because he keeps us in him. But you know what? Sometimes we put ourselves in places that that. Our confidence and our hope is not in him. It can be in a relationship or the people. It can be in a myriad of things. But we have a union that flows from him. And this union is based on something objective. It's not based on subjective. You see all the things I mentioned earlier that can divide us? Those are all subjective things. But you know what's not subjective? This apostolic message that we have. Look, look down your Bibles. It says in verse 20, it says, who will believe in me what? What is, it, what, is, what is the next three words it says? Who will believe in me what? Say it out loud. Through their word. Whose word? God's word, the disciples, the word that he has given to his disciples, the apostolic message. What do we believe? What is the thing that unites us? How do we know? How does he unite us? He unites us through the apostolic message, through God's word. That's how we live in response to this. Hey, let's, let's set aside anything we have, any preferences, the differences we have, and say, how do we live according to his word, believing that he unites us in him through this apostolic message? One hope, one Lord, 
one faith, one baptism. The Word of God, the Gospel, binds us together. And when we believe in this apostolic message, something supernatural happens. You know what happens? Our old man dies. And we're given new life. We're given brand new life in him. Our old affinities, our old way of being attached to the world, that dies. And now we're being placed in a new kingdom, in a new world with a new father. Something supernatural happens. We're given the life of Christ. And we're united in Christ. And, and look, look, look in your Bibles. And in verse 21, he, he mentions this idea of being united in him three times. Look in verse 21. He says, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Now, now look in verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. Now look at verse 23. He says it again. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. What? perfectly one we can have a perfect union that's based on Christ I don't mean we have perfect people none of us are I mean it doesn't take but five minutes of talking to somebody to realize they're not perfect but his prayer is that we might be in him one with Jesus now think of this crazy he says just as you father are in me he prays that we might be in in him just as the father is in him and he is in the father that we can have this unity like that uni united with Jesus just like he was one with us just as how was Jesus one with God he was he was united in his purpose he was united in his mission he was united in a way that was unbreakable just like we are united with Jesus in his person his mission in a union that's unbreakable not because of you but because of the unbreakable God The oneness of Jesus with God, though, it required a decision by Jesus as a man to stay the course even when things got difficult. That's the kind of oneness he prays for us. Things ever get difficult for you with, when dealing with somebody else who's a Christian? Maybe somebody else in this room. <laughs> Don't say who. Paul writes about that. And he, says, he talks about how this oneness flows from this this mindset that Jesus had of, of this commitment to stay the course when things get difficult. In Philippians 2, Paul writes, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, a united mind, a one mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more. What? Count others more significant than yourselves. What, somebody else's preferences are more significant than mine? What? Do, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, because we're going to do that, but also to the interests of others. He talks about this, this, this mindset that Jesus has with the Father. It's the same mindset that we're meant to have that Jesus prayed we would have with others. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let me ask you this prayer that Jesus prayed that we might be one. Do you, are you pursuing that? 
Are you pursuing being one just as Jesus is one, just as Jesus submitted his will to the Father's? Are you submitting your will? There's a self-denial that he exhibited because of the love of the Father and commitment to God's will. It doesn't mean we don't have a, a will of our own. It, it means that our wills are going to be in submission to God's will, and that's going to be seen as we say, you know what, I'm not going to mandate that my will be done here in his body. Where God's will is explicitly clear, we're committed to carrying out God's will with God's love and his glory as the motive. It means you have to be willing to defer where God's will isn't explicitly clear and be willing to defer where it means that we have preferences, let's hold those loosely, unless they're clearly God's preferences. We have to filter it through that screen, through the screen of, Lord, how, how do I live for your will like Jesus lived for your will? The oneness of Jesus with the Father was seen in the oneness of his will for the Father's will. Is it seen in your life and how you relate to other people? It says even to the point of dying to our own preferences and desires. You know what, that kind of relationship, that's radical, isn't it? If, if you came to a church and you saw that people loved each other even when they, were, they thought each other were weird or different or not like them, and they, they had a, an affection for each other and a fondness for each other um, that, that superseded all of the minor things, and they could laugh about the differences, they could also say, wonderful, I love your differences, I love that you like different things than me, and, and let me learn from you. If, they, if, if a church body acted like that and they cared for each other, they, they bore one another's burdens, they... They had fellowship together, not based on all of their differences, but despite and, and, and glorying in the differences that God had given them. That would be compelling, wouldn't it? And that's the kind of relationship that Jesus prays that we would have. You know, by God's grace, I, I see that in this church, by the way. That there is something compelling about people coming and loving each other, about serving each other, about giving towards each other, about celebrating the differences instead of dividing, about people loving each other through difficulties, and, and that's what we see in so many different ways in this church. Church, I want to commend you. Your, your desire to pursue reconciliation and peacemaking and, and conflict resolution, it's evident. It's not easy, but it's evident. Your affection for each other is evident, and that's a sign that, that you primarily look for your identity to be in Christ, but you know what? We still have to be on guard. We still have to be on guard about what threatens our unity. And so what, what kind of things threaten our unity, our oneness? Well, it's whenever we, we try to pursue our will above God's will. Pursuing our own purposes above God's purposes. Pursuing our own glory ahead of his glory. So how do we, how do we, how do we live in light of his prayer? How do we live in light of the gospel, John? Well, we live primarily by the fact that we are united in him. And when we relate to somebody else here, we think consciously they are loved by God. They are in Christ. They are not other. We are one with them. They're not other than me, even though they're different than me. They are with me. They are in me. We are in Christ. That's how we can view people who are believers, fellow Christians here. Committing to set aside our preferences for the sake of others, not letting differences divide us. When we give thanks to God for the variety of gifts that he's given us, for the variety of differences in this congregation, and I am grateful. If you were to look around, you would see people from every socioeconomic background, from different regions of the country, different classes, different places, different heritages, different skin colors, different languages. 
that glorifies the Father. When, when we're together, not because of those things, but we're together because we're united in Him. You know what? That's the way it's going to look in the end anyway. In the end, we're going to celebrate all around the throne this, this multi-ethnic, diversified body with all kinds of gifts. We're all going to, in one unison, sing what? The Song of the Lamb. So right now it looks like saying, I'm not going to push for my will to be done. I'm not going to mandate that others conform into my image, that we don't kind of subtly create the, you know, this is, this is saying it says the, the imago dei. So we, we are, we're, we're made in the image of God, right? And so, but subtly, you know what we do? We, we seek to remake other people in our image. That's what we do all the time. And yet we're going to commit to, say, we're, we're not going to do that. We're going we're to be committed to being united in him. But how does that come? How does that come about? Where does it come from? Well, Jesus talked about that in his prayer. Look down at verse 23 to 26. He mentions something three times. He mentions a word three times, a critical word to our unity and how we're united in him. See if you can find it in your Bible, verse 23, 26. And if you found it, just shout it out. It's just one word. Just go ahead and say it out loud. We're united because of something, in something, through something. He mentions verse, it's verse 23. He says that they may know that you sent me and, what's the next word? Love them, even as you loved me. And I look down at verse 24. He says, uh, because that you've given me because what you loved me. And I look in verse 26. He says, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Here's how we're united. We're united in him and we're united in his love. That's, that's how we're united. That's how we can live in response to this. We can live in union with one another because we're in union with him and we're united by love with his love as the motive, his love that transforms our hearts, um, his love ever on our minds, his love ever on our lips, his love is what we sing about. And then you know what? That's gonna be seen in us loving each other. But it all starts with him loving us. There's a guy who's recently passed on. He is, uh, was a brilliant teacher, and he talks about how we're to respond. And so he is a guy named R.C. Sproul. He says, we're called to participate in the death of Christ, in the afflictions of Christ, in the humiliation of Christ. For if we do not, we will never share in his glory. But in order to be faithful disciples in this world, to fulfill the mission that he has given to his church, we need to be encouraged by what? By the knowledge of his love that he has shed abroad in our hearts. The knowledge of his everlasting love for us gives us the strength we need to fulfill the mission he's given to us. And then if you have not received his love for you, it's going to be impossible to love other people. Maybe you are an unbeliever sitting here and you, you, you've not yet received the love of the Father through believing in Jesus. And I would say, it's impossible to have unity apart from Christ. Well, you cannot have unity apart from Jesus Christ, not true unity, not lasting unity. But here's the wonderful thing. Through receiving the love of Christ, by repenting and believing in Him, in His name, we can receive the love that Jesus has for the Father and the Father has for Jesus, we can receive personally and be loved by God Get this, this is crazy, okay? Just as, just as the Father loves Jesus. That should astound you. 
Just as the Father loves Jesus, so the Father loves all who are in Jesus. Let that sink in for a second. You know, this morning, Chris shared an encouragement that felt like some people were doubting their ability to be kept in God's love, and, and he was encouraging us from the Psalms that, that we're kept in God's love by God. But here's the way that God loves us, what Jesus prays, what Jesus mentions for the disciples to know, to rest upon, to glory, and to relish. He says that, that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. God the Father has loved Jesus perfectly in every way from all eternity past and all eternity future. The Father has never lacked in love for Jesus. And here's the thing, he says that they might know that you love them even as you love me. That should astound you. Why does he love you? Because Jesus removed all causes for God not to love you by taking on all of your sins, all your deficiencies, all your failings, your weakness, your shame, your guilt. And he bore it on himself completely. And then you know what else he did? He, he made you lovely to the Father because all of the, the, the right living that Jesus has done, it's credited to, to you now so that now the Father sees no sin and complete merit and the Father loves you perfectly just like he loves Jesus perfectly. You need to hear that. You know why? Because most days I wake up and I feel pretty unlovely. I'm aware of the things that I've done wrong, the shame, the guilt, the things I struggle with. But this mutual love that the Father has for Jesus and he has for us, it, that's, that's fuel for us to humble ourselves. How could God love us so much? How could Jesus give his love, his, his life for us to love us? And yet, then how can we not give our lives to love others? This love is seen in our unity and this this loving unity, he says something else. It's, it's essential to our evangelism. This love it has a purpose and has a cause. Look down your Bibles. He says that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved them. Your unity, your love for the brothers and sisters here, it is the biggest witness you can have because you know why? The, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy that we would live in unity. It's crazy that we would love each other, that we would serve each other, bear one another's burdens, do all those one another's that talks about in the Bible, pray for each other, really care about each other, sacrifice our desires, our preferences, our needs, our wants, set them aside for other people. That is nuts, and that's a compelling witness. And that's the witness the world needs. And, and it's Supernatural because it points to a supernatural explanation. It points to the fact that Jesus has supernaturally made you alive in him. Through Christian unity, the world knows that we're loved by God in the same way that God loves his son. To the same degree that God loves his son, he loves you. And perceptive unbelievers are gonna see that, that, wait a minute, there's something different here. These people are all weird. They're all different. They have all these different ways of living and talking. And what in the world unites them? Well, you know what unites them is something different. What is that? I wanna know what that is. It's the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, one more quote from R.C. Sproul. He says, incidentally, believers themselves need a deeper grasp of the love of God for them. In order to live like this, you need a deeper grasp of the love of God for you. 
In his tender mercies, God has an incredible capacity to love the unlovely. How do I know that? He knows every ugly part of my soul and of my life. Yet he loves me. That's true for you. He knows every ugly part of your soul and your life. And yet he loves me. How can that be? We always have to understand that the love he has for us is not because we are inherently lovable. That's really good because I'm rarely lovable. It says he loves us in the Son in the same love that he pours out to his Son. He pours out to those who are in the Son. This love that he has for the Son is the only reason I can give as to why God chose to save me. Here's the thing, church. How do we live in response to the book of John? We're, we live united in him, united in his love that others might know his love. That's the takeaway. We, we, we live, we're, we're united in his love so that others might know his love. The world might notice. Not our political unity, not our causes, not our ethnicity, not our uniformity. And actually, we're gonna go into the book of Corinthians after this and we're gonna see that there's a lot of different gifts. There's a diversity in the body that we are, we are called to celebrate. But it's not because of that, it's, it's through those things and that unity must be supernatural because it surely isn't natural. And it's unbreakable because it doesn't depend upon us. You know, any, as Christians, anything that, that breaks our unity in Christ, it's because we've allowed whatever that thing is, that topic, that preference, we've allowed that thing, that pet peeve, to supersede Christ in our relationship with another person. We've allowed it to become practically more important than the love that we share in the Father. You know, church, where, where do we insist? Where do we insist on others being like us instead of striving to be Christ-like? Where do you struggle with other people in the body? Are you thinking, you know, I, I, want, people to just, I want people to think like me. I want people to act like me. I want people to have the same causes or preferences or, or cares or, or concerns that I have. Sometimes those can be good where they're godly. But do you want to be made in his image or are you trying to make other people in your image? You know, imagine what kind of church. I want you to imagine just for a moment. As we close, just imagine for a moment what kind of church we would be if we are completely united to him, loving one another, bearing each other's burdens, living out of love, in love towards others. Imagine what that would look like. Imagine what that would look like in your life as you're living for loving other people and not living to be loved by other people where we're bearing each other's burdens, loving each other selflessly. That's a church I want to be a part of. By God's grace, our church is doing that, but, but I think God has more for us. And imagine the effect that a church living like this can have on the community around us in a broken world. Imagine the effectiveness of our witness. Imagine the gospel beacon we would become and be in a dark, disunited world. People that said, we're not gonna be divided by any secondary differences. We're gonna count our union in Christ as the most important union. Where we display the character and nature of God. That's a church that I'd wanna be a part of. It's a church that I wanna be a part of. It's a church that I believe by God's grace we will be and are a part of. You can be like this church. Why? Because you've been loved by God. 
you can be like this because you've been loved by God. By God's grace, he will make us more like this and answer this prayer that he asked because you know what? All the prayers of Jesus are answered. And one day we're gonna stand around his throne together. How do I know that? Because that's what he prayed. Look in verse 24. We're gonna close with this. His Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am. Oh, soon and very soon. We're gonna be with him where he is to see his glory. He says, to see my glory that you've given me. That's, that's the end result for all those who've been loved by the Father. Let's seek to love others, united by his love, loving others in that union. Amen?